Good morning, everyone. Hey, I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Thanksgiving and prayer. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Steph, good morning, everyone. So last week, we started a new series looking at the book of Ephesians. We have a few more copies of these scripture journals in back. Uh, we encourage you, if you haven't grabbed one yet, to take one. Uh, it's just the book of Ephesians with lots of space for taking notes. So you can use this to read through Ephesians on your own as we go through the series. Uh, you can take your notes on what sticks out to you as you read it. You can take notes on the sermons and then have that to reflect on as you uh, read through Ephesians on your own during the week. It's a great resource. Uh, they're on the back table. They're freely available. Uh, if anyone wants this one, I can give it to you right now. Otherwise, I'll set it on the back table. We also have some other books available on the back table. If you're interested, we have some study Bibles, some devotional books, and some general Christian books, all for free. Uh, if you're interested, swing by the back table on your way out from church today and check those out and grab some. So Ephesians, like we said last week, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was quite like Hong Kong in many ways. It was a wealthy port city that had a huge population. It was a center of trade. It also was a center of learning and higher education. They were involved in regional development. And it was a place where East meets West because it was along the trade routes between Rome and the Middle East. And so people from different cultures were coming together there, interacting in ways that maybe they wouldn't many other places. It's not some middle-of-nowhere town that has nothing in common with us. It's actually, in many ways, the Hong Kong of its day. And as Paul started writing this letter to this church, we looked last week at his introduction, which is the longest sentence in the Bible. Paul wanted to remind them of all the blessings that we have in Jesus through God's work for us. And so it took him the longest sentence in the entire Bible to explain that and, and just give a brief overview of that. And then today we're gonna to look at the next sentence because Paul was on a roll with his long sentences. Everything Steph just read to us in the Greek, again, is one sentence in the original Greek. So he's building on what he talked about last week. Don't worry, if you weren't here last week, you'll be able to follow today. Um, but last week, he was praising God. He was blessing God for all the amazing work God has done, blessing us 
and saving us. And now he's taking that and turning it into a prayer for this church, a prayer that they would be able to really understand how incredible and amazing God is. So today we're gonna look at this prayer. We're gonna unpack it a little bit together. And what we're gonna see is that God wants us to know him more so we can trust him more. And we're gonna see in this prayer, there's one request and three goals, hope, riches, and power. But before we dig in and unpack it, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares for us and, and who wants us to know you and who wants to know us. So I pray that you would be showing us more clearly who you are through this time together, that your spirit would be opening the eyes of our hearts so we can know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, Paul's request. I realize this, this sentence, it's a really long, complex flow of thought, right? Like we were just reading through it. And even if you take out the last two thirds of that passage we just read, let me put the first few verses up here on the screen and see if you can follow along with this flow of thought. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Is anyone following that? It's a little complex, right? Like just building phrases together on one another. It took me a few times reading through it to really figure out what he's saying. I think one thing we can all see the first time through, he starts with thanks, right? Like that's pretty simple to see. And that's actually pretty incredible. Like stop and think about this. We don't know much about what's happening in this church at this point in time. Like Paul says, they're doing good in faith and love. He heard about their faith and their love for all the saints. We don't know whether they're a big church or a small church. We don't know how much influence they were having in their culture and their world. Those things don't matter to Paul. Paul is just thankful that God is working among them. And he knows that God is working, not because they're a massive church, not because they've got big ag campaigns and a big building campaign, but just because they have faith and love, which I find super encouraging because it means it doesn't matter how big our church is, God is at work here, right? Like even if we're small, even if we're maybe not being as influential in the world as we wish we could be, even if we have issues of our own, there is faith and love here which means God is at work in the Bridge Church, and that's something we can praise him for and thank him for and celebrate. That's awesome. So he starts with thanks, but then he goes on and he has this prayer for the church that's a little bit complex. So I'm gonna highlight some key words for you right here. His prayer is that the Father may give you the Spirit in the knowledge of him. If you take out all the extra descriptive language, that's what he's praying, that the Father will give you the Spirit because the spirit helps us know God. He says he's the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The spirit helps us know and understand who God is. He reveals God to us so we can see more clearly. He gives us knowledge of God and the spirit opens the eyes of our hearts. So at the most basic level, Paul's prayer for this church is that they would know God. Right? On one level, they already know God. They're already Christians, but Paul wants them to know God more. And how do we get to know God more? Well, it's the work of the Trinity. If you don't know what the Trinity is, Christians believe there's one God, 
three distinct persons. So the Father is fully God, Jesus is fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God, but the Father is not Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or Jesus. I don't get how it works, but the Bible is pretty clear that that's how it works. Uh, And we saw last week, salvation is the work of the entire Trinity working together to rescue us. It's not that God the Father is over here being like, I'll, I'll do it if you make me. No, it's like his plan to rescue us. And then Jesus comes in and he executes and fulfills that plan. And the Spirit comes and makes that ours a reality in our life. And we saw last week, salvation is the work of the Trinity working together in joy to bless us and save us and rescue us. And what we see this week is that it's not only salvation, that's the work of the Trinity, but our growth as Christians, spiritual growth is the work of the entire Trinity working together. Like here in today's passage, Paul is praying for their spiritual growth, but look what he prays. He prays for the Father to work, but how does the Father work? By sending the Spirit. Jesus is at work. That's unpacked a little bit later in the passage. He is ruling over everything, giving us the security we need as God's children to know that God really is going to rescue us and see this thing through. The Spirit is at work. He's the one opening our eyes so we have wisdom and revelation to know God. He's the one who enlightens the eyes of our hearts in Paul's words here. Do you notice how differently God works than we tend to work? When you do something really good, really important, really successful, what do you want? You want everyone to know that you did that, right? You want everyone to recognize that you did a great job and all the attention to be on you. I want it too. It's it's called being human, right? When you're supervising someone, whether it's at work or whether it's like your kids and they do something great, what do you want? You want everyone to know about your role in their greatness, right? Like my kid did this because they're my kid. It's not about like them being great. It's about how much it reflects on me as a parent that my child just did something amazing. Some people take this to an extreme and like bosses will try and steal credit for their employees' work. That's, that's how we work as humans. We, we want the credit. We want the glory. We want the praise. And you look at the Trinity and how do they operate? Completely upside down from how we operate. Like Jesus, he is the one who died for us, but the Father is praised as glorious for it right here. The Father, when he works for us, what does he do? He sends the Spirit to us. The Spirit, when he comes to live in us, what does he do? He points us back to the amazing work that the Father and Son have done. Each member of the Trinity delights so much in each other member of the Trinity that rather than stepping forward and saying, look at me, celebrate me, when each of them steps forward, they just use that platform to push the other two to the front so that we'll know and celebrate them. When we interact with one member of the Trinity, that one actually helps us get to know the other two more deeply because the Trinity has such a deep love and appreciation for and joy in one another. Like even at the end of the passage, Jesus, it says, has all things put under his feet. How do they get there? The Father is putting them there. Like the Father could have just kept everything under his own control and been like, you know, Jesus, what you did on the cross, it was great, but I'm the real boss here. 
but he doesn't do that. No, he, he has such a deep love that he celebrates giving Jesus authority and rule and having Jesus be praised because the Trinity just loves seeing each other praised and celebrated and glorified. And Paul's prayer right here is that you and I and this church in Ephesus would know the entire Trinity more deeply, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened so that you and I can see and know more accurately and deeply who God is. And that's not just a head knowledge. It's a deep relational experiential knowledge, right? This knowledge that Paul wants us to have, it's not like memorizing timetables where you're like five times five equals 25. No, this is the type of knowledge where you've been married to someone for 20 years and you have a phone call as you're leaving work and they're like, it has been such a stressful day. And you know the greatest thing you can do to make your spouse feel loved is show up at the door with a tub of ice cream, right? Like it's that kind of knowledge that he is talking about right here. For us to know God that deeply and experientially, that, that we just know him as a person, know what he desires and how he responds to different circumstances and situations so we can live properly in light of that. And he says he wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. Remember in the Bible, the heart, it's not just the thing that pumps blood. It's the control center of everything we are. All our deepest loves and desires come from there and that drives everything we think and say and do. If your heart is seeing clearly, biblically, if your heart is seeing clearly, your whole life is gonna fall into proper order. And Paul is saying he wants the eyes of our hearts to see properly so that all of us, every part of us can live properly in response to God. And Paul's prayer is that this would happen for all of us. He's praying for the entire church, not just the pastors, not just the leaders, not just the super Christians. He wants everyone in the church to be able to see God properly and follow him properly. And I think, I mean, you can see Paul is praying for lots and lots of growth in this church. Presumably that means they have lots and lots of room for growth. But despite that room for growth, Paul doesn't start this prayer with a complaint. He doesn't start with like, God, please fix their problems because they're such a mess. He starts with, thank you, God, for the amazing work that you've done in them. If you're ever tempted to feel like, ah, I'm not a good enough Christian. My faith isn't strong enough. Like the fact that you're even able to recognize that is a sign that God is at work in you. Because you wouldn't recognize that if God wasn't working in you. And the fact that God is working in you is on some level cause for thankfulness and celebration. And Paul, I love how brilliant he is because even as he prays this prayer, do you notice he's becoming the answer to his own prayer as he prays it? How so? Yeah. He's praying for the church to know God more deeply. But as he prays this prayer, he's explaining to them who God is so that they can know God more deeply. He's showing them all the things that he's praying for them to know in his prayer so that they can know these things. He's showing them about the character and nature of God and the work of God and how God is, is leading us and guiding us. And it's super important for them and for us to understand this because the entire Christian life builds on this. If you look at the book of Ephesians, 
it basically breaks in half. Chapters one, two, three are all about who God is, what God has done for us. Chapters four, five, six are all about how do we live in response to that? Right? It's a very simple breakdown. One, two, three, who God is, what he's done. Four, five, six, so what for our lives today? But he starts with this who God is in chapters one through three, because any change in our lives that comes from us being Christians is based on the character of God and the work of God for us. I think there can be a tendency in our world for many people to feel like the Trinity is like the least practical doctrine out there. Like I get that the Bible teaches God is three in one, but like, so what? How do I live differently because of that? But for Paul, the Trinity is one of the most practical, impactful, impactful doctrines that Christians can believe. And it has some of the biggest real world implications of any Christian doctrine. Like when we get to the second half of the letter, or even the second half of chapter two, and Paul's talking about how the church is supposed to be different than the world, so much of that is built on if this is who God is and what God has done, if God is this mutually loving, mutually caring, mutually supportive Trinity, and everyone in the church is in Christ, so what's true of him is true of us, then we're called to love one another the way that the Trinity loves one another. Like the, the reason that we love one another as Christians is because we're made in the image of a God who is love within the Trinity. Even if we don't exist, he's still love. The way we're called to love one another as Christians flows entirely out of this doctrine of the Trinity. Without the Trinity, we lose a huge part of the biblical basis for why we love one another. Is that a little bit scary and overwhelming to anyone? It's a big calling, isn't it? It's a lot, but that's why it's so essential that Paul starts with, this is who God is so that we can see it's not about us just pulling ourselves up and doing better and trying harder. It's about God rescuing us when we were without hope. And this is also why it's so important that Paul starts with a prayer because we can't do this on our own. If we're gonna live the Christian life the way that we're called to, we need the Father to send us the Spirit so we can know who God is. We can't live properly as Christians unless we first know who God is. Like that's why pastors like me are always telling you, like it's so important to read your Bible, to go to church, to pray, because that's how we get to know who God is. And we cannot live properly as Christians if we don't know who God is. And so as Paul prays for this church to know God more deeply, there are three specific things he wants them to see about God to help them know God more deeply and follow him. And the first is hope. Paul says he wants God the Father to give us the spirit so we can have the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we can see the hope to which God has called us. And what is the hope to which God has called us? Well, we looked at it last week. It's the hope that God is uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. That's the Christian hope, that the tendency of everything in this world to break down and decay and disintegrate and die is gonna be not only stopped, but completely reversed one day. That God is on a cosmic rescue mission and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the evidence that God is committed to seeing this mission through and he has the power to make it happen. 
So this means all the harm that humanity has unleashed on the world, God's at work to rescue it and save it and heal it. Like there will come a day where God makes global warming a thing of the past. There will come a day where pollution is a thing of the past, where there will never be another baby turtle that has a little soda can ring stuck around its neck as it swims through the ocean, right? There's a day coming where that's never gonna happen again. God is, is fixing everything. The end story of the universe is not the sun burning out and the universe fading to black, but an eternity of endless goodness and joy in God's presence in a world that he has fixed and healed and made new exactly as it's supposed to be. And it's not just the environment that he's gonna fix, it's much bigger than that. There's a day coming when there will be no more war. There's a day coming when poverty will be eradicated forever. There's a day coming when racism will end once and for all. There's a day coming when abuse will be a thing of the past. There's a day coming when depression and anxiety will no longer exist. There's a day coming when death will die, when all human relationships will, will be filled with love and joy and peace forever. And it gets even bigger than that. It expands into the spiritual realm. There's a day coming when the spiritual forces that oppose God will be completely defeated once and for all, will never again be able to harm people made in the image of God. It's a pretty big hope, huh? Everything on every level of existence in the entire universe will be exactly as it should be. And God's people will be with him forever. That's the hope that God has called Christians to. So let me ask you, if you go to work tomorrow, whether that's in an office, whether that's in your home, you know, stay-at-home mom is a very important job as well. Um, if you go to work tomorrow with that hope in the forefront of your consciousness, with the belief that this, that God uniting all things in Christ is really what's most true about your future and the future of the universe, how are you going to work differently in light of that? Are you going to treat your coworkers or your clients or your kids differently if you really believe that's the hope that God has called you to? Like if you really believe God's going to fill the entire universe with love and peace and joy, is that going to make you a more loving and peaceful and joyful person in your interactions at work tomorrow? If we really believe that's true, think about how that's going to change us. Like we're going to use whatever position we have to fight for ethical business practices. If God's really uniting all things in Christ and bringing an end to all things that harm and destroy people made in his image, we're going to be at the forefront of things like fighting against racism and sex trafficking and discrimination in the workplace and modern day slavery. And we're going to be using whatever platforms we have to help fight the disintegration and decay and death that so naturally happen in our world. And it's not just about how we interact with one another. It's also like, how do we treat the physical world, right? There are some people who are like, well, you know, if God's going to heal everything and make it new, then it doesn't really matter what I do today, right? Like litter, pollute, take advantage of the environment, no big deal. But that's not what Paul's saying at all. If, if we really understand the hope that God has for us, if we're really hoping for him to unite all things in Christ and we're excited for it, 
we're going to want to get in on that today. We're going to be the ones looking for environmentally sustainable ways to do business. How could we not when this hope has filled us? And yes, we're trying to join in on what God is doing today, but we also do this knowing that ultimately at the end of the day, God's the one who unites all things in Christ. And when we know that God's the one who does this, it's also going to make us people of incredible, powerful prayer. We'll work hard, but we're also going to pray hard. And we're going to be able to do our best, but not come home stressed and anxious about whether our best was enough. Because guess what? Our best is never enough, but God is more than enough. And so we're going to do our best. We're going to pray for God and we're going to be able to let go and let him be in charge of the results. If we're truly aware of how great our hope is, that's going to absolutely transform our lives today. When we know what God has in store for our future, it makes us excited to join in on it today. And that's why Paul wants them to see the hope that God has for them. But that's not the only thing that Paul wants them to see. Second, Paul wants them to see what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And just to, to clarify, because I know we have different people from different theological backgrounds. When, when Paul uses this word saints right here, he's not talking about some group of super Christians who have like special position with God. He's talking about all Christians. So he wants them to see what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance in all Christians. What Paul is saying here is true of all Christians, that we are God's inheritance. God's inheritance is in the saints. It consists of his people. Did you ever know that if you are a Christian, you are God's inheritance? Think about that for a second. Let it sink in a little bit. If you are a Christian, you are God's inheritance. How does that feel to hear? You are God's inheritance. Out of everything in the universe that belongs to God, money, jewels, real estate, buildings, planets, solar systems, the universe, he looks out and the thing that makes him most excited is his people. It's us, you and me. Does that feel a little too good to be true? Does that feel like, oh man, like it's a little scary and overwhelming? God must be disappointed with me, huh? If I'm his treasure and I've messed up this bad, I would be disappointed if I was my treasure. God probably didn't know what he was signing up for when he decided to have me as his treasure. I know how much of a mess I am. If that's what you feel when you hear this, then I need you to listen to me, like really closely. Listen up. God knew exactly what he was doing when he chose you and me to be his inheritance and got excited about that. God knew exactly what he was doing when he chose you and me to be his inheritance and got excited about that. That's the whole point of what we were looking at last week about how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world and predestined us to adoption as sons. Before the universe existed, God knew everything there is to know about you and your life. He knew all your strengths and weaknesses. He knew all the ways you succeed and all the ways you would fail. And despite all your weaknesses, despite all your failures, despite every dirty secret that you just want to keep hidden from the entire world, he chose you. Not because there's 
anything special about you, not because he was ignorant of how messed up you'd be, not because he was living in a fantasy world where he just sort of hoped these things wouldn't happen and we'll, we'll deal with it if they do, not because he knew you'd do enough good to outweigh your bad, because you won't. He chose you because he is a God of love. That's it. He chose to love you, not because there's anything wonderful or special about you, but because he is a God of love. Isn't that the most liberating truth ever? He chose us knowing we were unworthy. He chose to make us his treasure and inheritance and to celebrate us, not because of anything in us, but exactly because of him. And here's what that means. We can stop trying to earn his love. We can stop beating ourselves up and condemning ourselves every time we fall short. We can stop feeling terrible about how unworthy we are because he already loves us. Because God chose to love you. Jesus came to pay the price for everything you've ever done wrong. And because of that, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see all the things he wishes were better. He sees the perfection and beauty of Jesus. And God knows the beauty and perfection of Jesus is the most valuable and important thing in the universe. If you're a Christian, every time God looks at you, that's what he sees, the most beautiful and valuable and important thing in the entire universe. And he sees that no matter what you feel about yourself. You are God's inheritance. You are God's treasure. God has made you glorious. And Paul prays for all of us to know that this is true. Paul prays that each and every one of us would know that when God looks at me, he sees a treasure. When God looks at us, he sees great riches. And Paul wants us to know this because the more deeply we know this, the more we're going to believe that what God says of us is what's really true of us. Us starting to live in a way that's actually worthy of God doesn't start with us sitting down and being like, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to finally get it right this time so God can love me. No, it starts with us realizing no matter how messed up I am, God loves me. God sees me as a treasure. That's what's most true about me. And if God knows the nature of reality better than I do, that has to be what's most true of me. And if that's what's true of me, then I can start living that out. Paul wants us to see the riches of God's inheritance in the saints because it's only when we start to see that that we're going to live in a way that reflects the true worth and value of that. And then the third thing Paul wants us to see is power. He prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. As we've been looking at this passage and this prayer and the ways that the gospel calls us to live in the world. Does anyone feel like this is, this is a lot of change? This is quite different. This is going to be hard. No? Okay. I'll let someone else preach next week. Uh, <laughs> no, this is, these are big changes. This is really hard. And, you know, I think there can be a tendency to be like, you know, Eric, all these things you're describing about living out of this hope and, and seeing that we are God's treasure, like that sounds great in theory, but it is, it's just too much. That's, that's a lot. I get it. Paul gets it. God gets it. That's why everything in this passage is not rooted in you and me and what we have to do, but it's a prayer to the entire Trinity because we cannot do these things unless God powerfully works in us. 
and sends his spirit into our hearts so we can see him clearly and know and understand the things he's revealed to us. If we're gonna have any hope of doing this, we need God to work. That's why Paul starts with prayer. But God has done something incredible in history that's meant to root and anchor our hope today so that we can live for him. He raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul is saying right here, the same power that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead is the power that he uses to equip Christians to live for him. It's the same power he uses to sustain Christians in our lives day to day, week to week. Do you ever feel like it gets exhausting just fighting for what's right when everyone around you is getting ahead by doing wrong? Paul knows that. He gets it. God gets that. Like he, God lived that in Jesus. Do you ever realize that? That difficulty of fighting for what's right while everyone around you gets ahead by doing wrong. God lived that in Jesus. Do you ever feel like you're just discouraged because you've been working for years and years trying to make something better and it just feels like nothing is changing. Maybe it's getting worse. It's discouraging. Paul understands that. God understands that. God lived that out in Jesus. Do you ever have Sunday mornings where you just like wake up and you're like, you know, there's some really big churches in Hong Kong that are doing some incredible work, but the bridge, we're a small church. Are we making a difference? It'd be so much more convenient to sleep in this morning. I feel powerless and small and insignificant, but look what God in his power did. He raised Jesus from the dead. He seated him at his right hand. That's a place of power in the heavenly places. That's not a physical place up in the sky. That's the, the realm where spiritual beings operate. Jesus has all authority in that realm. Jesus has all authority, which means that when you and I feel powerless, when you and I feel discouraged because is what I'm doing making any difference, if we're connected to Jesus, we have the most incredible power in the universe at our side. That doesn't mean everything's magically gonna get better today, but it means that God's power has not given up on us because Jesus is still alive. Jesus has all authority in the heavenly places. And Jesus has, where is it right here? Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Every spiritual power that opposes God, Jesus is in authority over them. There's one commentator, he pointed out, anytime the New Testament talks about demons or spiritual forces that are opposed to God, it's surprising the things the New Testament doesn't say. Like the New Testament never tells us about whether there are different types of demons. It never gives us instructions on how we are supposed to cast out demons today or anything like that. Um, it, it doesn't tell us lots of things that we would want to know about demons. But anytime these spiritual forces are brought up and discussed, they're discussed with the goal of showing us that Jesus has conquered them. Jesus has defeated them, so Christians do not need to fear them. Jesus has defeated any spiritual force that exists. Like, we don't need to burn paper houses for our ancestors to keep ourselves from being haunted by their ghosts because Jesus has conquered all spiritual forces. We don't need to fear haunted houses because Jesus has defeated all spiritual forces that exist. And Jesus being an authority 
is not just about spiritual forces and powers, but all powers. Like how often do we get stressed and anxious because we believe someone in a position of power over our lives is not using that power for our good? Whether that's like a teacher or a boss, whether that's a parent, whether that's someone in the government, like how often do we get stressed because someone in a position of power over us, we're like, they're not using that power for our good. But Paul wants us to know about God's power because Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in the spiritual realm, but in the physical world as well. Jesus has great power. And we see in verse 19, he uses that power for the good of the church. Christians don't need to fear evil spiritual powers. Christians don't need to feel, fear evil powers on earth or even perceived evil powers because behind all power, ruling over all, is Jesus who's working for our good. Paul wants us to see and understand God's power that's working for us. And he wants us to see the authority that God has given Jesus, that Jesus has the name above every name, not only in this age, that's right now, but also in the one to come, that's all the way into eternity. God has put all things under Jesus' feet and made him head over all things. There was a, a Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper. He one time said, there's not a single square inch in all the universe over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say, mine, your job, your family, your kid's school, your school, your future, your retirement account. Jesus looks at all of it. He says, mine. That's the power he has. And, and he's using that power for the good of the church. And Paul says he wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. God's power towards us is connected to his power towards Christ. The power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and put him in this position of authority is the power that God uses to sustain the church and equip us to live for him. If God really did all of this for Jesus, you and I can have confidence that he's gonna use his power to do the exact same things for us. He's gonna sustain us. He's gonna raise us up one day. He's gonna give us blessings and honor. And it's not only that, but also if God really experienced all the difficulties that we face in life as Jesus, and he suffered and died in our place, we also know that we have a savior who stands in our place and rescues us anytime we fall short and fail. And Paul, it goes on just for several verses at the end of this passage, unpacking the power that God showed in Jesus because Paul is absolutely convinced that God has enough power to sustain any Christian in any trial we face. And he wants us to be absolutely convinced of this as well. And yes, Paul's original audience was Christians, but if you're here today and you're not a Christian, Paul wants you to be convinced of this as well, that God is real, that he came to earth in human history as a person of Jesus, that he did all of this so that you and I can know him because he loves us and he values us. And he's inviting you today to know him too, to, to make this hope your own, to become part of his glorious inheritance and to have his power working in your life for your good as well. So if you want that, come after service, find me, chat with me, find Les, the guy playing guitar, chat with him. We would love to talk with you more about how you can trust in him today. But church, Jesus is all powerful. 
He's ruling over all things. He does it for the good of the church. And so the church can be a confident people. Even as we struggle, even as we face trials, even as we fail and mess up again and again and again, because the one who's on the throne has our backs. And the church, even a small church like the bridge can be a powerful people because we serve and worship a powerful God who's working in us and through us. Yes, there will be hard times. Yes, there will be failures, but we're not defined by those failures. We're defined by Jesus. God, when he sees us, he sees value. He sees riches. He sees wealth. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and the power of God that raised him is at work in us today. And if that's true, then we have all the encouragement and strength we need to get out of bed tomorrow and keep going, even if it's hard. What a prayer. The Father would send the Spirit so we can know God. I'm going to close this in prayer and and pray this prayer over us as a church. Father, I thank you for the Bridge Church. Thank you for the love and the faith that's working in this church. God, I pray that you would send your spirit among us, your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of revelation, spirit of knowledge, that you would send the spirit so we can know you, so we can have the eyes of our hearts enlightened and be able to see you clearly and know who you are. God, I pray that each of us would be able to know the hope to which you have called us, that we would have this knowledge of you, not just intellectually, but experientially, that we would know that you're really at work uniting all things in Christ and that we would have joy and encouragement to join you in that. Pray that you would help us to know the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, that we would be encouraged each day from remembering that we are your treasure, that that wouldn't place a burden on us, but it would place a joy on us and give us freedom. And I pray that you would help us to know the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe, according to the working of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead. God, thank you for your power. Thank you that you raised Christ from the dead. Thank you that you have put Jesus in the place of ultimate authority in the universe and that he uses that for the good of the church. I pray that we would know that, God. I pray that we would grow in our love for you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.